So, Ty, you said that you haven't seen much about the impeachment trial yet? No, it's been a weird week for me. I, I, my schedules have kind of been all over the place, so I've just kind of been passing out when I get home, and uh, I have not paid attention at all to what's been going on this week. You know what I thought about the other day? That that is on purpose, because, like, I was thinking about how while we're all working, it's very busy for us to kind of stay politically active or politically aware at the very least, and I think that's by design. Like, you know, if we're all working and we're to- and we're toiling every day, we can't realize what's going on. And that's why this time is so dangerous, because people are at home thinking. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's no accident that, you know, the protests, like the Black Lives Matter protests really took off during the middle of the pandemic. I think when people were out of work, it was easier to stay active, stay in the know and, you know, hit the streets. And now that I guess, you know, some people are starting to get back to work, they don't have as much time. And uh, it, that makes it harder to to make a difference and really know what's going on. And reason being uh, also is just because in this game that we play called capitalism, you have to work in order to survive. So it's not like you can just take a break off of working and be like, you know what, I'm going to focus on activism and, and not, you know, have to take care of your bills and stuff. Uh, unless, of course, you have the Honorable Elijah Muhammad buying your house and everything, such as we discussed in our, in our <laughs> yeah. episode two weeks ago when, yeah. we, when we discussed Malcolm X. Yep. Um, also, numbers yeah, for so COVID those are really you, high, those too. So it, it's really hard to get into big groups and do stuff, right? You know, like COVID's like soaring. Depending on what the group is, yeah. <laughs> um, but for those of you who haven't, who, are, who haven't been aware of exactly what's happening with the impeachment trial, um, uh, I watched it with my wife for as much as we could stomach, uh, and, and it was a lot. It was, it was actually hours of uh, the Democrat uh, managers presenting their, their case against Donald Trump, uh, providing a timeline, which was one of the most shocking things, because at the time that the group storming the Capitol was declared a riot, Trump had just finished his rally. <laughs> so he didn't even finish the rally before shit got out of hand. Um, before before they started marching. Listen, listen, it wasn't his fault, okay? Yeah, I mean, how, how are you going to blame this guy? You know? Um, no but then they, but then they're also, um, they're also like, they're, they're going back to his, his, his older rallies, you know, within the past, you know, few months with the whole stop the steal thing. And, and, and like, they're, they're quoting different nicknames he has for people that his followers are using. They're quoting his rhetoric and they're going back and forth between them. They're showing never before seen footage, which is incredibly graphic, like security footage, uh, that shows, you know, just exactly how barbaric this attack was and uh, i don't know it was, it was just rough it was rough to you know we talk a lot about a cab here and we got to defund the police and uh and, and abolish the police and stuff like that um you know but i've also discussed how i think a lot of people go into law enforcement trying to do the right thing trying to make a difference and they are good people who get corrupted by a corrupt system or may not be able to uh reach their fullest potential to help within that system and and I saw a lot of a lot of those those people who are literally throwing their lives in the way for politicians throwing their physical bodies in the way for these politicians and and that was heartbreaking as well one of them had it was a veteran he said he hadn't seen anything that bad since he was deployed to Iraq Man. uh the the guy that I sent you that video from uh CNN a while ago the one who got crushed in between the doors oh, he actually yeah. survived I think uh, that was brutal yeah that I found out brutal. that <sighs> That was that was very heartbreaking to see. 
And um, and and also, I, I know that not everyone will agree with me on this, but you had you know you had Ashley Babbitt there, who was a I believe a 14 year Air Force veteran, one of the many people who who knew how to inflict violence and was ready to inflict violence. She lost her life that day. And I didn't hear them make this argument. Maybe I just stepped away for a sec, but I would have made the argument that that woman wouldn't be dead if not for Trump either. Right. Like, it's not just the cops who are the victims of, of Trump's rhetoric here. It's the people who he put in harm's way with no intent of backing them up or, or, or anything. Yeah, no. You know, I, the whole I, time he was literally making phone no, I was gonna say I agree with you. I, I think no matter kind of like where where you stand on this on this issue, right? Whether you're anti-cop or you know you don't like Trump supporters, I think seeing somebody die, if you're not a psychopath, will 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 get some sort of emotional reaction out of you, right? Because could somebody losing their life, and it, it it just shouldn't happen. Like you know what I mean? Like it, it, we've talked about even you know criminals do not deserve to die. You know you don't deserve to die for anything. You know that's why we have. A prison system that doesn't also doesn't work, but uh, it, you know, no one deserves to die. Yeah. So <laughs> on paper, that's why we have that. <laughs> yes, yes, it's it theoretically it should work to prevent people from dying. But yeah, I mean, I think you know, if again, if you're not some sort of psychopath, seeing anybody get killed or or horribly scarred and, and injured is just you know, it's barbaric, like you said. And this this event was was that you know, people uh, killing each other, you know, at the Capitol building. Uh, all American citizens, it's it's, it's pretty wild to, to think about and even worse probably to see. Yeah, and I know we mentioned it before, but you do have these, you know, these people who not too long ago were, were spouting Blue Lives Matter rhetoric, literally um, attacking cops. And I'm not talking about, you know, this is also terrible, but like they're not showing up armed and shooting someone in the face. They are showing up there growling howling these are the sounds that are being heard like like this is shit that was obtained by the fbi from these people's own cell phones you know calling out for nancy pelosi you know nancy we're coming for you you know they're banging on doors and then they have uh phone calls from the staff because nancy was moved the fuck out quick it was her staffers you know her her young political upstarts who maybe one day could you know have a career in ruining uh the poor people's lives you know they didn't even get that chance because you know they were hiding and the guy's like you hear the banging on the door and he's like we need police here now you know they are at the door right now and we have no one like it was it, it, it was just very frightening it was Warriors. chilling stuff yeah they're staffers come out and play um but uh it's but crazy. yeah if um uh you know the on the day we're recording this the the trump uh behind the behind the curtain here uh the trump uh team is presenting their defense it is rumored that they're not even going to take the full eight hours that they require i mean there really isn't much of a defense i guess um so by the time this comes out you listeners will know the verdict um my guess is that i've really i have uh, turns my stomach to say this my guess is that the republicans don't don't vote uh to convict that would be so shocking. Even with all the evidence presented before them. Of course not. Because, you know, off mic we talked about party allegiance is more important than anything else, you know? And they say he's a Republican, so Republicans are going to continue to back him. Yeah, he literally put a gun to their head. And and they're like, we can totally trust this guy. <laughs> I know, it's rough, man. That's why that's why every side, you just you need someone who is of the people to represent you. You can't have someone with special corporate interests. You know, these are people whose careers are at stake because of, of a reality TV star. You don't need someone in office, in public office, who has, who, who owes allegiance to a sociopath or a narcissist like Trump. Yeah, that, that, 
It can't be good. It's, it's not safe. It's literally threatened national security, and it could in another four years. That's the whole reason this impeachment thing is going is going on, is because they feel that there's still a good chance that Trump can get elected again in four years if he's allowed to run. Well, I mean, there is a very good <sighs> chance. I mean, you know, Democrats are starting to already squabble some of the chances they've been given, and I think, you know, uh, in two years and in four years, I think they're going to lose. Squander? Yeah, they're squandering their chances. You know, like the this whole thing with the stimulus, I think, you know, how it was kind of laid out for people and how it's actually occurring were two very different things, you know? And I, you got to imagine if you're, you're a voter in Georgia who made sure Democrats won and now they're fighting over whether if you make 50000 or 75000 if you're going to get this, this stimulus check and, you know, you're, you're facing uh, eviction and not being able to put food on the table – you know, you're going to be pretty pissed off. And I think for some people, uh, you know, that's going to be too much for them to to trust Democrats word again, especially when when unfortunately under Trump, you know, they did receive a fourteen hundred dollar stimulus and another six hundred dollar stimulus. So it, it's tough. You know, there's a very good chance that Trump could be reelected in the future. And that's a very, very terrifying thought. Yeah, I shouldn't be getting more uh, assistance money from a fascist than a I don't even know how to describe Biden in one word. Um, a centrist. A centrist. We'll go centrist. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's not like Trump wanted to help people, but it just worked out that way because, you know, he wants to, he wants to capitalize off of anything that will make him look good. And, you know, uh, that's one thing he has in his corner that he could argue. Hey, I gave people stimulus money. I, I said give them another 2000 But uh, if he gets into office again, the <laughs> uh, country's pretty fucked, so. Be, uh, be ready for that. Yeah, we'll see. I um I I hope that it doesn't that it doesn't come to that, but it but it just might. Uh, in the meantime, we have no new reviews. So, listeners, if you want your review read at the top of this show, all you have to do is leave one. Uh, we prefer five star reviews. It really helps us in the in the algorithm and gets gets more listeners, and uh, they get to enjoy the thing that you are enjoying. That being said, Ty, are you ready to bring in the theme song? Oh, I sure am. Alrighty then, let's bring it in. Welcome back to the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. the pseudo-intellectual soy boy, and I'm pleasured to be joined by, so pleasured, my co-host, Ty. Hey, glad you're pleasured. Oh, yes, you you always provide pleasure to me, and it's greatly appreciated, It's my Ty. goal. It's my goal. Um, that's right. For those of you who, who, are, who are new to the show, you can, uh, you can find us on... Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on YouTube or you can like and subscribe. You can support us at our Patreon if it's still up by the time I'm recording this or by the time you're hearing this, <laughs> rather. And um, you can find us all over social media. Just search up the Politipop Podcast, all right? Now, guess what, everybody? We are we are coming to our last stop on the Black History Month Spotlight Tour. Uh, last week, we hit Judas and the Black Messiah. Before that, we hit Malcolm X. Before that, we hit... What did we hit before that? The first week we did One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami, of course we did. And now we are coming to to to, to the last station of black trauma, which is going to be Antebellum. 
And um, and we are not alone in discussing this. That's right. Today, we have with us a very special guest. He he goes back with us. He's working a post-production in L.A. He is in the industry that we are co- continuously critiquing and, and, and diving into and reading between the lines of. He has worked on Peppermint. He's worked on Underworld Blood Wars. He has worked on Sonic the Hedgehog. And most importantly, the reason he's on this podcast is because he has worked on Antebellum. Please give it up for the man known as Nick. How are you guys? Good, man. Glad to have you. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, now, um, originally we did want to have... Uh, a black person on this episode, or at least one episode this month. Um, but we did get my cousin last week for Judas and the Black Messiah. So, you know, we talk about, you know, the Latino blood and African blood are, are very intermingled. So so that's that's the best we get. We really wanted to get Josh on this episode as well. Um, but uh, but schedules just don't work out. So hopefully he'll be on another episode in the future. Um, now, Nick, before we delve into your uh, your your background here, I do want to make an announcement at the top that we are not just doing Black History Month. Uh, it has been brought to our attention by Ty's girlfriend that the films that we we reviewed deal almost exclusively in black trauma today's film very much so and and i think that while people are attempting to to provide a good message or be woke if you want to call it that that um it is very easy to revert back to the the tale of black trauma you know oh that that woman did a great job playing a slave in a slave movie um you know like it, it always comes back to that and and it's a thin line to walk because while we do want to shed light on on certain struggles, historical and and present, uh, we don't also we don't want to be looking at snuff films, and we don't want to see an entire uh, uh, an entire people relegated to just being victims. There are stories of black triumph, just as there are black trauma, even though those stories may have uh, trauma and struggle in them, because. We've mentioned it many times before. If you are a person of color, most likely race plays into your story at some point, whether you know it or not. Um, so, so next month, we are going to be reviewing black stories that aren't specifically rooted in historical trauma. We're talking, we're talking Fast Color, which is a black superhero movie. We were talking Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. We're talking Others. Okay, and we'll we'll get that scheduled out uh, in the in the next episode specifically, just so you know what what to listen to, everybody. But uh, but yeah, so so Nick, how long have you been working in film for? Uh, so I've been working. Basically, I started as a post as a post PA, a post production assistant, and I started about eight years ago. So I've been in it about eight years. I've been doing my uh, my current level of work for about six of those years. And in addition to that, he's also doing his current level of work for for our little indie short, Great Power, uh, that, that Tyler and I have, have worked on. Um, I, I don't I don't, don't want to be like we did these specific things because we just kind of like did it. Like we did <laughs> like a lot of different things for the movie. But uh, but yeah, Nick has been so gracious as to to lend his his industry level talent to to our short film and we are incredibly grateful for that and looking forward to sharing it with everyone when it when it happens it's an excellent movie yeah so 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 we do have another white voice on this podcast uh this is a voice that is behind the scenes of this film and we really didn't want to pass up 
we didn't want to pass up this opportunity to 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 get a look behind the curtain. Um, we're going to be asking questions, Nick. Hopefully, you'll be able to to answer most of them. But if you do have to keep things uh, discreet, where we absolutely understand, I sign NDAs all the time as as an actor. So appreciate you. And we appreciate you right back. So, so as we mentioned, today's movie is going to be uh, Antebellum. Um, for those of you who aren't aware of what the term Antebellum means, it literally uh, means before the war. Obviously, it wasn't widely associated with the Civil War until after the conflict was over. Um, but but Antebellum kind of became this phrase that, that harkens back to before the war. And if you're hearkening back to that, you're hearkening back to slavery or chattel slavery, I should say, because we really haven't moved on from, quote unquote, slavery. Uh, but yeah, it harkens back to chattel slavery. And, um, you know, as as Black Lives Matter protests have been ramping up this past year, uh, a bunch of people have been trying to appease uh, black consumers, such as the band Lady Antebellum. They're, they are a country group uh, who attempted to, to act like they cared about black people by changing their name to Lady A. It was originally Lady Antebellum. They said, well, that's offensive. We'll be Lady A. Until a black singer whose um, stage name is Lady A said, well, you can't take it unless you pay me this many million dollars. And they said, well, we'll sue you for it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so that really doesn't have much to do with this movie specifically, but just so you know the the term and what it harkens back to, there are actually a lot of terms and there are a lot of subtleties included in this film uh, that that do harken back to slavery or 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 pre or you know segregation, and we may not realize them, but they because they are just a part of our life. It's so like interwoven. When you think about oh, this is the master bedroom in the house, why was it called the master bedroom? Yeah, yeah, it's it's just yeah. like we don't we don't think about it, you know. <laughs> now, before we get into it, I want to give everybody a trigger warning. Uh, this is a graphic film, so we will be talking about graphic themes. There, there is uh, obviously you know physical violence uh, and 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 death uh, against people against people who are enslaved, uh, but also there's sexual assault. So, so uh, just before you move forward, we have that, and also. There is a spoiler warning coming in just after. If you have not seen the movie Antebellum, I highly suggest that you do. It is currently available for streaming on Hulu, or you can uh, you can purchase or rent it on Amazon Prime Video, uh, or you can subvert all those fucking uh, things and you know hack your Fire Stick or whatever. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, too. whatever works. But um, sorry, Nick, do you not? Do, you already got paid, right, Nick? That you don't get. <laughs> you, you don't get anything taken away if we don't stream it, right? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> okay good 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 just making sure just making sure you just ended nick's career great oh uh, it's over for me so <laughs> i'll have to ask you what it was like to actually have a career that started in the first place but uh <laughs> but yeah uh, there is a um a Shyamalan level spoiler uh like a Shyamalan level twist in this movie so just keep that in mind if you listen to the rest of this podcast um but that being said ty let's give him the plot Antebellum, successful author Veronica Henley finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late. And of course, this mind-bending reality is a southern plantation uh, during the during the Civil War. Uh, throughout the movie, we hear we hear like a battle happening in the background, uh, which which we're led to believe is the you know the Yankees versus the Confederates. Um, the movie starts off with this quote from uh, Faulkner, I believe, that says, The past is never dead. The past isn't even past. 
I mean, yeah, I think we've, you know, we've been speaking about this all month, kind of that, you know, the idea that racism is gone is, is such a myth, right? Like you learn in, in school, almost like the history is like, all right, you know, and uh, Martin Luther King ended, you know, ended racism. And that's kind of like the, how they want people to feel, but that's, that's clearly not the case. That's why Black Lives Matter, you know, exists. That's why people like Colin Kaepernick, you know, uh, took a knee because racism is, is very much alive. It might not be as in your face as it was maybe in the 50s and 60s, right, or before, but it's, it's there. Uh, you know, we, we live in a, in a systematically racism, racist system, and, you know, until we really break that down, and I think everyone comes to terms with that will never truly be past it so yeah i mean the quote really really fits what, what the theme of this movie is yeah we do we did talk a lot about generational trauma when we were covering lovecraft country and Watchmen as well and how those ripples from history still go through to today and like we do have to be aware of that past we cannot um erase history but also we can't alter it i think that that is the number one thing there are people who are like oh we can just erase history blah 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 but i think it's the altering of history and putting it behind a a rosier lens than it's really supposed to be uh that is that is the issue well it's interesting because that's what that's what a lot of uh you know like like southern probably you know racists will say about getting rid of confederate uh, statues right let's say you're erasing the past you're trying to erase history when I, I really don't think that's the case, you know? I mean, it's not like people are going to for, forget that the Confederacy existed. They just don't need a constant reminder of it uh, everywhere they go, you know? It's, it, it, I, I would imagine it'd be like, you know, having a, a statue of Hitler in, uh, I don't know, uh, Israel, right? Like, like I'm sure they don't want a reminder. Anywhere. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but yeah. you know, every single day of, of someone who hurt their people, who hurt, you know, uh, many, many people. You know, no one's going to forget him, but you don't need to, to walk down the street and be like, oh, look, look, that's great. So I think that's that's the, the big difference between, you know, uh, erasing history and just not having constant reminders everywhere you go of it. Now, in talking about history, uh, I think that we, we do have to talk a lot about nostalgia because this this movie is a direct reaction, I believe, to uh, to the Trump uh, uh, presidency. They mention uh, there's a lot of vocabulary in there uh, in which, you know, the guys are marching with torches at one point saying blood and soil. Uh, this was a term that was that was coined, um, coined by the Nazi Party in the 1930s and was later was later spouted at Charlottesville. Um, we also have. um you know, the the guys calling each other cucks, which came about from the alt-right around 2015, 2016. Hell, I've even used the term when referring to, to Ted Cruz and stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, this is taking a very literal approach to the idea of make America great again, at, you know, meaning what what do you mean again? Like, when was it great? Is You know, it's, it's you know, obviously great for white people, blah, blah, blah. But in this movie, they do take it literally. And we have a group of people who are, you know, I think making themselves suffer. Um, I'm going to I'm going to throw the, the twist out there right now, as a matter of fact, when we see all these terrible things happening to these enslaved peoples. And I'm going to try and make an important distinction between saying enslaved and slave. um. You know, to me, it's just the same as saying homeless or someone experiencing homelessness, you know, um, 
But when we see all of these terrible things being done to these people, it turns out that this is happening in the modern day, that these individuals have been kidnapped and that they have been brought to a Civil War reenactment um, uh, area, land, if, if you will. And, and there are some dudes who were just taken away too, way too literally. And to me, like they're sleeping in sheds by the fire. They're, you know, they're eating by candlelight. To me, that seems like they're, ma- they're making themselves suffer. Like they're living in lesser conditions, but they get the benefit of having control over black people. And, yeah. I mean, they're trying to live really can't fathom. as authentically as possible. Right. Like there's even, uh, I believe an enslaved gentleman in the beginning who has like this collar around his neck. Right. And that was a real collar that used, you know, uh, you know, back during when slavery really did exist, it was, you know, it was a way to pr- prevent people from escaping, you know, stealthily. Sometimes they had bells on them. Yep. And, and you know, those, those kind of things were, were really used. So these people are trying to be as authentic as possible. Uh, and they are in the worst possible ways. Right. Yeah. Um, now, now, Nick, what what was the um extent of the work or let's say an overview of the work that you did on this film in post so working in the editing room working with the editor the assistant editor you know so on and so forth all right so that being said there were a lot of very graphic images and and situations in this film um could you maybe describe some of the stuff that made it onto the cutting room floor that didn't get put into my nightmares? Uh, well, a lot of it honestly was, it wasn't necessarily physically violent stuff. It was, uh, language. Like there was a lot of language that was ultimately not in the movie. I mean, cause, and I say this because if you look at a lot of the dailies, there are, I think this sort of, goes to speak to your point about uh, how racism is still very much alive in modern day society because there were certainly some white actors, you know, there was white talent and they took the role playing aspect of it. They took the acting a little far and they were mm. unnecessarily like ah. there were, there were some moments that were, that, that just were a little unnecessary and they didn't, make it into the edit. I mean, partially because it wasn't necessarily scripted, but um, there's one instance I can think of in particular where uh, an extra uh, used the N-word casually in the scene and they, they removed it because it was, it it was, it it, it was over the top. So it's that kind of thing. It's not, it's not, it's just it's it, it, that's really the extent of it. it. It wasn't there weren't any like all the violent stuff that you see. That's all in the script and that's all in the movie. So um, I'm going to assume this extra was one of the quote unquote Confederates. Yes. Okay. Um, because I don't know. Like I was wondering, like could be like you know one of the one of the one of the other extras. You know, like picking cotton and being like you know just modern because there you know at some points these you know the people who who are quote unquote enslaved you know they are using modern dialect and throughout the whole film they're the ones using modern like you know dialect while all the cosplayers all the larpers the confederate larpers are the ones really digging into you know well i'll tell you here you better you better get to 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 skipping boy i'll tell you right like they are going full foghorn leghorn and 
and that that right there is a little hint. Watching it a second time is is a very interesting watch because now you know everything. And is this does it make it worse that these are modern day people put into an enslaved role, or like is it just as bad as when their ancestors were enslaved? Like, no, no. I mean, listen, I'm a white dude, so I I think. I can't accurately answer that question. That should be the subtitle of this fucking podcast. <laughs> right? It's a different level of wrong because, uh, I mean, obviously slavery was pretty fucking horrible, right? I mean, you, you kidnap people and, and force them to to be your slave, right? To, to be enslaved. That's pretty horrible. But I, I guess, you know, if you look at it from this perspective, you're now taking people who, you know, have in some ways been able to finally experience freedom though they're still held back in a lot of ways in the united states of america but you know to to all of a sudden have you know be kidnapped and be forced to live like this i mean you're now like you said before with with the people actually who were the confederates right they're living a totally antiquated life now <laughs> you, you know you, you took these people who uh go from an age of cell phones and you know, TVs and cars, and now you're making them, you know, live in, in the fields by a fire, uh, you know, in, in like a dumpy shack. So, you know, it, it, it has a different level, I think, of of difficulty. But, you know, regardless, slavery is horrible. It's, it's, it's monstrous. So I don't think you can really compare the two. It is difficult to, like, because I was struggling with that in my head as I saw it, because... We, I guess the worst part is like we're just used to those things like in 12 years a slave and stuff like we see terrible things happening to enslaved people all the time in the media and we see those same things happening in this movie we, we do see um, we do see Eden uh, aka Veronica who, who's who's being raped by this guy who is only referred to as him up until the very end of the movie uh, he's even credited as him I believe Um but like he's like he's raping her, he's branding her, he's beating her. They're doing this to all of these people. Um, but I th- I think the knife is just twisted a little more because you find out that like these people knew about the, their 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 ancestors experiencing this trauma and now being are being forced to experience it. Like 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 you said, they are free people, quote unquote. They are free, you know. They're they're average citizens, and yet. like this is happening and it's um and i think what what makes it even worse is that veronica at least is a prominent black activist in the real in in real life she is a journalist um and she's always speaking truth to power now um there's another character in here whose name is eli he's also known as the professor so i'm assuming he was an educator nick um maybe i just missed this in the plot but was everybody on this plantation who was kidnapped were they all like prominent uh, black people like were they all leaders were they educators like or was that would I read into that too much well I mean it, I think it's safe to assume that I mean it's never specifically made clear and it certainly isn't made clear in the script and it's uh, not made clear even in the dailies really I think but that is the suggestion that this the the quote-unquote reformation plantation was uh, created to put I guess the way that they understand it, uh, uppity um, people of color back go. in their place. <laughs> I think that's that's supposed to that's that's supposed to be what that institution represents. It's what they're what they're trying to do. They're trying to to you know take their power back from people they think have stolen their power. 
Right, right. That makes sense. To to me, you know what? That twists the knife a little further too. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm in no way trying to find a silver lining of shadow slavery, but like then, like at least from the mind of one of those monsters, it makes sense to be like, all right, we have a lot of work to do building this country. I don't want to do it. I'm going to have these slaves do it. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, but in this, like we see that at the end of the day, all the cotton that's collected is, is burned. Like they are like, they are working for nothing. And it's just like you said, Nick, they're just trying to break these people. And, and, um, and, you know, apparently they were all handpicked by, uh, by his daughter, but Veronica, who later gets renamed uh, Eden because, you know, following in the tradition of taking away traditional na- uh, taking away names and uh, replacing them with biblical names. She she was the one who was handpicked by him. And uh, and that that is just it's really disgusting when, when you think about it, because, like, if you really hate this woman that much, why would you try and have sex with her? Like, to me, yeah. it screams Ben Shapiro AOC vibes. I mean, I think it's about power, which is what rape is. You're absolutely right. Right. It's about power because. You know, when you use sexual assault in that way, it, it definitely exerts, you know, dominance and, you know, in a sick way. Right. So I think any way that these people can can put some sort of power over these newly enslaved individuals it, is they're going to do it. Right. And, I, and what what better way than that? Right. You totally break a person when you use sexual assault. And I think they know this. And that's why he that's why he does it, because, you know, she she does have you know, a fire to her, right? She's a strong person. And I think, you know, he's doing whatever he can to, to take that away from her. And I, and I do also, you know, you were mentioning how, how, how traumatic this must be for someone who had, you know, ancestors that were so you talk about multi-generational trauma, right? You know, people have trauma still passed down, you know, from, from their ancestors and, and, you know, who, who might've been enslaved. And now to experience that firsthand, can really, really probably damage a person, uh, you know, in ways that we couldn't even begin to understand. You know, I don't even know how you would get over something like this to then experience this in the modern day and and know that, you know, so many people like you went through this, you know, uh, in the 1800s and, and you know, even, even in the early 1900s, even though they weren't enslaved anymore, just, just how bad things still were for people of color. Now, to see such a strong character like Veronica be put into this position where, you know, even she tells um, one of her, you know, one of uh, the the fellow people who's been kidnapped, she says, like, we have to wait. We have to wait for our moment. The movie actually starts with her being brought back from trying to escape. That's how she gets branded in the first place. Um, you know, but it, it it is, you know, brings up this dialogue, the similar one that we had last week when we were talking about Fred Hampton. Like, do we do the gra- – and we've talked about it before, too. Do we do gradual change? Or do we lead the revolution now? Like, like you know, the, it's it's less about gradual change and more about gradual conformity. You know, do you, you know, you have the people, you know, you have uh, Black Lives Matter Plaza or whatever in, in Washington. You have, you know, the Democrats kneeling with dashikis, but are they going to pass any legislation that's going to help black people? Like, you know, at what point do the people take it into their own hands? And and um, I might be reading into that struggle a bit. I'm not positive if I saw it with, with Veronica necessarily, but um, but that is I definitely think it's, you know, something to think of and something that this film puts in your head. Kim's choice of kidnapping Veronica and having her put in the Reformation plantation. Uh, my understanding of the story is that, you know, typically the people that they kidnap are not 
they're not high profile targets. Like they're educated, but they're not high profile the way that Veronica is right, more right. of a high profile person, and that's why she. That's why Elizabeth doesn't want her kidnapped in the first place because they know it's going to draw attention to their movement. Which it does, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that that him, uh, or in this case the senator, uh, in- insists on making that move, to, you know, that becomes a problem later as uh, Elizabeth establishes in that sort of uh, very drawn-out scene where she's trying to kill her. Well, I think, you know, being a high-profile target, uh, A, there's a bigger search for her. And if you want to really break it down, I mean, how many people of color don't get justice, right? But being someone who is is so well known, yeah, I think point. when you get when there's you know the opportunity to rescue her, of course, there's going to be a big uh, you know a, a ton of police sent. They're they're going to put their resources into saving her because you know they need they need that publicity. Whereas you know if you're if you're a nobody, if you're just a regular average person. They might not really put as much into into rescuing you, so I think that's that's probably a you know a, another statement there, whether intentional or not. But that, it definitely is another reason why I'm sure they they would not want to kidnap someone like as high profile as she is, like you mentioned. Uh, so there's a, there's a quote in the very beginning, in the very beginning when when we first see the plantation that just kind of I, I thought it was interesting, right? The Confederate soldier. Uh, he tells the enslaved woman that he's going to tame her savage ways, and he beats her and tortures her like a like a savage, right? Like it it's just like unbelievable because this really did happen, right? This was this is like you know th- this not this particular event, but this is what what happened to enslaved people, you know, back in the days, and and they really believed they were they were taming them, right? They were they were making them better by by abusing them in this way and it just it's just so uh ironic to me that that this you know that they considered what they were doing not to be savage well that's always been the hypocrisy of white supremacy and you know we discussed it with malcolm x you know when you say oh you're you're coming at us with hate black nationalists are full of hate black lives matter is about hate and it's like okay you're you are the ones who are deciding what the word hate is you're the ones who are deciding what violence, and I'm saying these in quotes, is, you know, but think about where where would we have learned that from in the first place? Like you're saying that, that other people are savages, but you're beating, raping, branding people like you, you, you are the most savage of us all. And if, if, if there is any savagery that's being pushed back upon you, guess what? You have only yourself to thank for that. Yeah. I mean, you can look at this with, 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 you know, during slavery, you can look at this during colonizing, right? I mean, it, it's just, uh, it's a cycle of, of being, uh, you know, acting savagely and then, and then acting like the victim. Right, which we still like see today with people, you know, they all of a sudden when someone lashes out back at them, they're like, "Whoa, whoa," you know, like what, what, what savages, right? Like I, you know, you can't do that to me, and I feel like we've we've seen this so so many times. Yeah, poor Gina Carano, you know, she <laughs> she, she didn't deserve Aww. to get kicked off the Mandalorian for you know talking shit about trans people, even though the lead in the show has a trans sister. It wasn't even why she was fired. Trans sister, sorry, it sounded like I said transistor. That whole thing is just. Such a shame. I mean, it's just, she's the worst. (laughs) 
I was gonna say I'm like, yeah, I know Nick's a big Gina fan, and I feel bad. <laughs> no, she's just she's just the worst. Yeah, she is. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record and say she's not a great actress either, in my opinion. But I feel the same way. I, I don't think she's great, but it just it like as a Star Wars fan, it's so hard for me to get through some episodes because I know how awful she is. And it's like, why yeah. am I watching the show that she's in? And I'm just, I'm, I'm glad that Lucasfilm made the decision to cut her loose because we don't need that. And they gave her several chances too. So, I mean, you know, I think it was time to cut the cord. Well, they were thinking, I mean, they had been sort of planning, well, not planning, but they had, they've been looking for a reason to fire her since November after uh, the last wow. outrageous thing that she posted and this was sort of the final straw because it was just, it was really far out there. Somebody fist pumped and was like, got her. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Pratt, you better watch your back, bro, because you, <laughs> you might be next. Um, but it depends. Disney is willing. I mean, they've in the past, they've definitely been, been willing to, uh, to take some liberties with stuff. Uh, when they were doing, when they were releasing uh, anti uh, Japanese propaganda, like anti access power stuff, the the Pentagon actually had to tell them to back off a bit because they were like being too racist with the Japanese caricatures. And they were like, yo, like we got to live with these people after this. Like they're Japanese <laughs> in America. Like you can't, the Pentagon was telling Disney. Well, they, they've built an image now though. You know, they've built, they've built this family friendly image that has earned them billions of dollars. So, you know, they're not going to put that in danger anymore. So I think, uh, Anytime they they are in that position, they're gonna they're gonna make a call like this. Yeah, I agree with uh, with Nick that it kind of does take you out of the film when you see an actor like that. And it was the same with me for you know when I saw Gina there, I'm like ugh, like and you know the yeah. the little liberal part of me that still exists. Originally, it was happy to just be like, oh, there's a woman on screen doing cool things. And then once I found that shit out, I was just like. I was like, all right, then then it doesn't matter. And then by the end of the second season, when you have uh, fucking four badass women in the same scene, well, I guess one of them's gonna you know die off screen in a tie fighter accident uh, <laughs> before season three premieres. Oh well. <laughs> um, but uh, but speaking of being taken out of it, uh, let's let's take a break from the plantation real quick and go to modern day, which is where we find out that that Eden is actually Veronica, um, Janelle Monet. Um, you know, plays plays her, and she has a husband, a daughter. Uh, there's there's a quick shot where, and Nick, you probably know what I'm talking about, where um we're seeing that her her home, and there's a shot of her on a horse. So I guess did they feel they needed to put that in to be like, oh well, everyone's gonna wonder how she rode a horse at the end if we don't show a picture of her riding the horse <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, no, I think I think that was just something that they they threw in for good measure. I don't think that was particularly. That was. I don't think that was something that they planned to do. They probably just like, oh, hey, maybe this is a throwback that somebody will notice, and that's what they did. I, I really no, don't think that there no was foreshadowing like, there. I don't think that there was any intention of there being any foreshadowing. I mean, granted, I don't have it directly from Gerard and Chris, but um, I, that's how I feel about it personally. That's what my opinion is. I mean, it also seems that she's pretty wealthy, right? So she she's living a a, a pretty pretty good life, it seems. Um, you know, I think they're just showing kind of the, the life she's used to, right? You know, she, there's even a line where like some, I think some of the family's like, are we vegan this week? You know, the struggle is real. And it's just kind of like, you know, they're, <laughs> yeah, I I th which I thought was husband. funny, you know, it's just like, 
they they kind of can do whatever they want, right? They're not they're in a good position where they can do that, and and she's been able to to carve out a pretty good life for her and her family. I don't know, like again, I think this is this may have been another one of those things where they just they just wrote it, and I, I'm not sure they put that much thought into it. I, I don't, again, I don't know for sure, but um, I don't necessarily think they were trying to make a commentary on her uh, on her her how much money she had or her equestrian abilities yeah i mean i think <laughs> oh oh about her money okay I, yeah I, the idea <laughs> we we read between the lines all right man we we look at this stuff more than we probably need to but <laughs> that's what we the do the idea i think that they you know based on my observation of of what 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 was done is, is that they're making a point that she's not uh, a slave and that she's not um she doesn't live the the chattel lifestyle. She's a leader. Yeah, right. right, she, right. She's she's uh, in a position of power, and um, she's you know earned quite a lot, and uh, she has a respectful life. I, I think that's just generally the idea. Now, as we go to the to the modern day, um, I I, I messaged you th- uh, earlier this morning, Ty, when I was rewatching, and. I was really fucked up by the film watching it again. And I feel bad that when I had initially watched it, I watched it with Josh because like, you know, even if you, if you're a person of color, even if you do have white friends who are allies, them constantly being like, Oh, I saw this thing about this. Oh, can you believe this person got shot? Like you just keep throwing the shit in their faces. It's kind of a bit much. Yeah. And like now upon watching this again, like I told you, Ty, I was like, this is excessive to me. Like I was actually really disturbed by the stuff I was seeing. And there's, and in the modern day, there is a subtlety to everything that I absolutely love when she's at the hotel, she's staying in the Jefferson suite. Um, you know, we see that that actually throughout the entire movie, and I think I think this was done very purposefully. You can correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, or if you think I'm wrong. But throughout this movie, we see white people in very few roles. We see them a as villains, b as servers who we really don't really we don't even see their faces, which I think is very purposefully. And c we see the one token white friend, and I think that I think that that was was great and I didn't even notice it the first time but like that's where we see you know black people in a lot of media yeah I have a great story about uh, one of the scenes oh yeah please so there's a scene that in the movie uh, you guys know what I'm talking about where um the the three girls they're in their separate ride shares and they're on their way back from dinner and uh Dawn and uh I like that moment a lot. Yeah, that, well, there's the there's the scene where you know Veronica is literally being kidnapped in the back of a car, and then um, Dawn and the other girl they're partying. I'm trying to remember what her what her character's name's name is. Uh, it's um, token white friend Sarah. Yeah, so Dawn, so, <laughs> so Dawn and Sarah they're partying in the back, and they're like you know messing with the Uber driver and whatnot. But there's um, so. The actress who plays Dawn, Gabori, she is one of the most phenomenal improvisation artists that I've ever seen working on a movie. She's just remarkably good at what she does. She has a really great presence on screen, absolutely. Well, so what happened, so there's a take where they're in the back of the car and they're singing and uh sarah so they're they're you know they're listening to music and singing and sarah goes oh this is my jam 
And uh, Dawn says, girl, isn't this the song you play when you want someone to come over and just eat you out and make you a sandwich? And uh, the, <laughs> the, the Uber driver, like the, the, the extra who was, the, who was playing the Uber driver was not expecting that. And the look on his face, he just goes, oh, wow. <laughs> and they went with it. They rolled with it for a little while. And then when they call cut, the first thing that the, that the Uber driver says before the camera even stops rolling, he says, wow, that got graphic. <laughs> it was so good. That's hilarious. It was such an incredible moment. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's art right there, man. That yeah. Is, that's that, fucking beautiful. That was... <laughs> that was um, <laughs> but she had a lot of... I mean, Gabori had a lot of moments like that. She had a ton of moments where she just improv this, like, really over-the-top uh, stuff, and it always worked. Like, it was hard to pick takes for her in editing because of just how remarkable she was. I'm sure it seems like, like a curse. You almost have too many good things to choose from. Well, I mean, so just to just to clarify, my primary responsibility on the movie was to uh, script all of the scenes as they would come in. And basically what that means is the I was responsible for going through all of the dailies, all the footage, and I had to link all of the footage to a digital version of the script in the Avid. And if there are lines that are not that, that are improved or that are changed and they're not in the script or they're different in the script, I have to transcribe it into the script so that the editor knows exactly where to find it. Oh, OK, cool. Like I observed a lot of those sort of uh, those moments. But um, just to circle back and, and finish up your point, I think it was very uh, intentional to um, – address this stark difference between oh yeah that is what i was talking about yeah this this stark difference between veronica and the positions that she's in and how the other uh white people are in their positions but i think more so the intention was to address the uh microaggressions between white people and people of color yeah mm, yep 100 percent. there were a lot of those in there there's that scene in the restaurant where um you know they're sitting down and they're about to order and the waiter says how about a bot i think it was a bottle of prosecco or something like that and they look at him and they're like what you know what the hell and then veronica closes the menu and she says a bottle of of uh, krug and they order a nice bottle of champagne and then Dawn says something like like Prosecco, you know, just ridiculing it because it was such a ridiculous suggestion as if they were poor and couldn't afford, you know, the quality champagne, so to speak. And the assumption, of course, is because they were black, they were poor. Exactly. Exactly. Just because you talked about the, the moment where she's getting... Uh kidnapped that that also i think was was very effective because we have these two parties in in identical cars uh veronica is going where she thinks is home and we have her friends who are going to uh party the night away and they're both in identical cars except one of them is currently being uh very inefficiently kidnapped, I think. I feel like this idiot Jasper forgot to grab the chloroform because he just reaches his hand around her face. I don't kidnap people on the regular. I just feel like I've seen enough movies to know how to properly kidnap a person. He soaks his hand in chloroform for an hour beforehand. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I have a very hairy palm. And 
Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I put it over her face. It actually works way better. There's no evidence. Yeah, you have those hairy palms. They're great for traction, too. But, uh, but yeah, so you also have um, her friends who are jamming out to Lizzo in the other car right next to them. Like, they have a chance to see. However, I think the windows might be tinted. But they have a chance to see what's going on. I think right there you see the message of just, like, when you get too caught up in the glam and the entertainment and the consumerism, you do miss the actual struggles that, that people who are similar to you are facing. I, I also think... You could even go as simple as, you know, there, this isn't actually a real thing that happens uh, to people that call Ubers, right? Like, oh yeah, it does happen. Somebody for will real. kidnap them. Uh, you know, they get into the wrong car, so they tell you to, to double check and and make sure that it's actually the right license plate, or you know, you know who the driver is that's picking right you up. Name. This this can really happen. It's also kind of ironic that like they're they're kidnapping people to put them like into an old school like plantation, but they're using like modern technology to do the kidnapping, you know? Yep. But, uh, but yeah, Uber's a, you know, it's, that's a very real danger and it's like easy to see how that could happen to somebody, especially if they've been, you know, partying and hanging out and they're not really paying attention. And, uh, you know, it's a danger for a lot of women in particular. Uh, and obviously this, you know, this happens to, to Veronica. Also, I'm not sure if this was purposefully meant, but we do see that Elizabeth, um, him's daughter, uh, she has a pin of her family crest on the lapel. It's also the same crest that gets branded into Veronica at the beginning of the movie. I don't think they meant this on purpose, but that looks like a congressional pin if I've ever seen one. Goes right on the right on the lapel, and um, you know, Democrats and Republicans they both wear those pins to let them know uh, to let to let everybody know where they work. And that right there to me was like. Huh. And then finding out that the guy that her father is a senator. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think there's definitely a message there that, that you can look into if you want to. I think personally, the idea is that, you know, like uh, him says at the end of the movie, when he um, meets his 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 end, he says, we're it's like cutting off the head of a hydra. We have people everywhere in every position. So I think that that's just the idea is that racism uh, is everywhere. Nobody is is exempt from their feelings of personal bias. For you know, if we're being kind about it, hell Hydra. Exactly. And on a literal, yeah. you know, and on a literal level in the movie, he's saying that. Listen, I'm not the only one. Like there are plenty of high, um, high value people all over the country who believe in what we believe in, and uh, and that that is very frightening. You know, as you know, just like we were talking about with the impeachment at the beginning. Like there are still people who regardless of the fact that they were in danger still might not vote to to convict this man like they could put in place any they could put fucking mike pence in place in four years and you know even for as much of a monster as he is he still knew like constitutionally i'm not allowed to fucking uh you know turn you know turn over the results for you and you know later on that day there was a mob a hundred feet away from where he was hiding with his family um you know, so so it does blow my mind that we do have politicians like that, and uh, you know, in the in the movie, of of course we do. You know, like I like I said, it is a very literal representation of I think um, anxieties of of people of color, um, but I do think it it is also a reality because whereas you may not have people who are kidnapping you and forcing you to be slaves, you do have a prison industrial complex that is going to. Uh, be more three times more likely to enslave you than they are a white counterpart or i should say lock you up you know you also have people who are enacting out policies and practices 
from the you know from era of the eras of segregation from Jim Crow from chattel slavery and and they don't even know it but like those practices are still being enacted today um did you have any anything else as far as either of you anything else regarding like the microaggressions and stuff she experiences there's the scene where um Veronica and her husband are in the kitchen and Veronica is getting into it with that other representative about uh, you know the the stress that people of color face every day and uh he's sort of just standing there like you know just like making mocking it making fun of it and um of course there's the moment in the hotel room or in the hotel where the woman at the desk who winds up being one of these, you know, secret society crazy people. Oh, I didn't know that she was. I just thought she was a bitch. Oh, no. she. If you watch the movie again, uh, the scene where they're at the, um, the dinner party the, at, the, at the plantation where they have all those, those women serving them, the, the people of color, all those black women, uh, you can see that girl oh. walking with Elizabeth in that scene. So she is very much a member of that secret society. That's wild. Wait, the little girl or the woman who... No, you are talking about the woman who was at the desk who ignored uh, Janelle or Veronica, right? That's 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 who I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yes. I'm going to have to take your word for it because I'm definitely not watching the movie again. Um, <laughs> not that it was a bad movie. I'm just, I just not, I, I don't have to see uh fucking snuff film again. Nate, thanks for coming on. We're going to shit all over your projects now. Hey, look, man, I'm down. I'm down for the real talk. Man. I mean- <laughs> I'm going to assume Nick doesn't have an allegiance. Now let's talk about that fucking movie, Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That was just just for the record, that was an awesome movie to work on. I haven't watched it yet, but I really want to. It was an awesome movie to watch, I've heard, but I haven't watched it myself yet. I'm sorry. It it was I mean, the movie's a lot of fun and uh but working on it being a member of that team for as short a period of time as I was was one of my best, you know, working experiences as a professional in the film industry. But that's, we're sort of digressing a little bit. I'm sorry. That's what we do at this podcast, so don't sweat it. Um, speaking of which, I'm just going to uh, go through a few other things I noticed about the film. We, we're not going to necessarily go into them, but I thought it was important. Uh, they do bring up the term boy, which was also brought up a couple weeks ago on Malcolm X. Um, it is it is a term that does have its roots in segregation and in, uh, in white supremacy. Um, it's a very subverted uh, ethnic slur, but boy, depending on who you use it on, is definitely one. Uh, you know, there's a moment where Jasper instigates uh, instigates that guy and says, you know, like, give me an excuse. Yeah. I think now might be a good time to go into this because that right there, it reminded me of this this protest I saw a while back where, um, you know, there it was, you know, crowd of black people facing down some riot police. And one guy was in front of all the people and he said, don't give them a reason. Don't give them a reason. Like, they're just like, waiting for a reason at any moment. And, you know, you cannot talk about white supremacy in the United States without talking about policing, without talking about the origins of policing, which, you know, which was uh, slave patrol. Um, You do have a you do have Janelle Monet on interviews who's saying that that this movie is kind of a critique on American policing. Like she brings it up. But I don't you know, I think it's it's more of, you know, white supremacy specifically because who comes to save them at the end the police like you know at at the end of the day it's a tough fight to fight because who's going to hold criminals accountable it does have to be law enforcement but but you could argue that they don't save her right that she saves herself 
You could absolutely argue that. Yeah. You know, because she and they don't they don't even see her until she's already off the off the plantation, um, you know, going to see a bunch of other people who probably wish the South had won. Uh, and they, they're, they're going to watch uh, watch another uh, battle reenactment. But my you know, my thing is this, um, Nick, since we've known you, it's been uh, a part of at least in my mind, a part of your environment. You grew up in a cop family. Your father uh, was a cop. Um, he, he might still be, I don't, I don't know when they retire. I don't know things, but, um, you know, in all the movies that we, you know, the little shorts that we put together in high school doing stupid shit, you know, the main character, you know, had to be a cop or a detective or something like that. And I think that's our go-to, especially when we're growing up. Cause Ty, you and I did it too. We think of stories. We're going to be like, all right, this guy's in the military. This guy's a cop. You know, that's a thing. Always. Yep. Yeah. Now we've talked about, about, uh, the connections between white supremacy and policing on this podcast before. I'm not going out and calling your dad a clan member, but I want to ask you, Nick, how has it been for you being the son of a cop during this time? You know, as the years go by, seeing um, seeing what you see on the news, seeing how it's reacted to. Um, I'm not going to ask you like, you know, you know, listen, do you support Blue Lives Matter or what? But, uh, you know, but just how how is it? What runs through your head when you see people being like, you know, fuck the police? And you're like, oh, well, my dad's a police that you want to fuck or. Well, not fuck, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. You know, it's interesting that you say that because the last, certainly the last couple of years have been transformative for me personally because, you know, when this was first, or I shouldn't say first because it's not true, but when this really started to become more of a, a public issue, when, when this really started to air itself on national television and whatnot. For our generation, because it's happened Well, times, we're, yeah. we're, where it started to become, you know, it was mainstream news all the time. Um, you know, my first instinct is to always be like, it was to always say, well, you know, it's a difficult position for law enforcement to be in. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, you're sort of fighting for your life. You have to worry about that. I mean, and uh, like, you're forced to make a split second decision and you know if you're a young man or you don't have a lot of experience which is often the case unfortunately like, what yeah. are you supposed to do you're most likely you know you're most likely going to make the wrong decision but um you know as time has gone by i really like i can't um i can't make that excuse anymore i really can't because the system is just so uh it's Fucked. just so so messed up and it just doesn't work and it's wrong. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah, for lack of a better word, yeah. But um my dad and I we've gotten lately into some, you know, we've gotten into some bitter arguments about about these things. Really? You know, cuz he always seemed to be a pretty cool dude, so. Well, he is. He's my my father is very 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 liberal. He is by no means a, a blue lives matter guy by at all. It's just that he has a sensitivity that I, th I mean, I certainly don't have because I'm not in law enforcement and that I think a lot of people don't have because they're not in law enforcement. But he is also, at the root of it, a white man with experience in uh, a workplace that is toxically racist. So his point of view, I think, is uh, it's skewed a little bit because of that. But I've been very fortunate um, because... Well, certainly because my girlfriend, she, you know, she's a, she's in political communications. She, her current candidate is a young woman of color running for Boston, uh, for mayor, right. Or running for the mayor of Boston, excuse me. And, um, I've had at this point, certainly some, 
you know, at the very least interactions with people of color that I normally wouldn't have had. And it's given me more of a sensitivity to what they're struggling with on a day-to-day basis, you know, having to worry about getting into a car, whether or not they're going to be killed by a cop who pulls them over for a broken traffic, you know, broken taillight or some shit. I mean, at this point currently, just to, you know, to answer your question, I don't, I, I don't really identify with that, with that law enforcement side of it anymore. Like it's gone too far for me where I can't support it. You know, I can't, I can't make excuses for it. I, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see it. You know, I'm very much at the point personally where it's, it's like, you know, this defund the motherfucking police. Like, (laughs) you know, like this is a big, big, big problem. We have a big problem. I, you know, I really appreciate your, your honesty in this because, um, you know, this is something that we've had to come to terms with too, as you know, you, Tyler and I have, I think it's only literally one friend right now. And even then at best he's an acquaintance cause we really haven't talked much since he became a fucking cop. Um, but like, you know, we have one where, you know, we had this situation where it's like, where, where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line between, you know, the fun geeky kid who loved to go to wrestling shows with us and, you know, the guy who told me that he wanted to pull a cop out on a, you know, on some, uh, on a dude experiencing homelessness, uh, running up to him really quick because he didn't know what to do because he was undertrained. You know, I've, I, if I haven't said it before, I'll say it now. I do think that it is a disservice to, to young men and women to put them into a dangerous job and not fucking train them for that job. You know, you don't, you know, as far as I know, you don't see people going overseas, you know, to, to terrorize other countries and not have them trained to do their job. Like even soldiers have to follow uh, a certain, um, Ty, what was it called again? What's their, their process called again? They have to follow. Uh, I, I don't, re- I don't remember conflict you had it in a previous episode that's why i thought that's why i thought you would have it but anyway they have to follow a set of rules uh before you know before even like raising their rifle to somebody else so 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 why you know why shouldn't the cops why shouldn't we train them more you know i think uh from the case of your father like he may not be code of conduct the soldier's code of conduct i believe is what it is Uh, that was a lot simpler than i was making it um (laughs) but uh Rules of escalation. Is that it? Is it rules of escalation? I think it might be rules of escalation. Something like that. They both apply. Um, but their code of conduct of escalation. <laughs> all of that. You know, like, I I think, like, someone like your father, who, from my, albeit limited experiences with him, seems to seems to be a good man. You and your you and your sister seem to be good people. So, like, you know, your parents ha- had to at least done somewhat of a good job. You know, you, you seem like solid folks. Um, you know, so but I think, like, he might see one of the good cops that he knew in every cop that dies or every cop that is being accused of committing a terrible act. Like, you know, I think that's the problem is there, there's this stencil of the quote unquote good cop that's automatically painted over all of them. And that does a disservice to the good people who are cops. Notice I make that distinction. I mean, it's a, it's a systematically, it's, it's a system that's racist, right? It's systematically racist. So it's, and it's, it's, you know, it's a problem. So I think no matter how good of a person you are to be put into that system, you know, it's hard to kind of break that, right? You know, like there's only so much you can do as one person. And And I think, you know, as long as we don't confront the system as a whole and figure out how to fix it, whether that's defunding the police or, you know, what, I know you mentioned they're not properly trained, but then some, some places they are trained, they're overly trained, right? But they're trained in, in the wrong way. And overly supplied. You know, like there's, there's yeah. that military there's a, yeah, there's style that training called killology. I think. Yes. You know, and, and so, 
we've tried overtraining, we've tried undertraining, you know, nothing seems to really work here. In my non-expert opinion. That's all we have on this podcast. You're good. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying that the police, the, the police are, are poorly, they're poorly equipped to deal with a lot of the circumstances that they're thrust into. I mean, they're not therapists, you know, like so many of the things that they're called in to solve, you know, a lot of it is, you know, it's homelessness or it's mental illness or it's drug addiction. And they're really poorly equipped to deal with that. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you on that. I think we've actually talked about that a few times. You know, it's like someone's, uh, you know, suicidal and they want to hurt themselves. Why are you calling the police? Right. Like, what are they going to do? You know what I mean? They're not like you said, they're not equipped to deal with something like that. You know, you need you need someone who's actually trained to deal with with those kind of specific situations. Right. And and the the thing that, you know, the, the difference sort of in the um, in the opinion that my dad and I share or, or that we are that we argue about from time to time is that he doesn't fully like there was a while where he didn't get what defund the police meant. He just assumed that that meant completely strip them of a budget which is not necessarily what defund the police means. It means, you know, yes, you don't give them as much money, but you take that money and you and you divert it to other places that are yes. better equipped to deal with those issues so that they're not the one solely responsible for dealing with drug addiction cases or mental health cases or homelessness or stuff like that. So people who are trained to deal with those problems can deal with those problems as opposed to show to having like a trigger happy, you know, uh, novice cops show up and just be like, fuck it, I'm going to draw my gun and just start blasting people away because I don't know what else to do. Yeah, you don't want Danny DeVito showing up. <laughs> so I just started blasting. <laughs> but I don't see so good, so I miss most of the yeah, time. Exactly. <laughs> I know, it's a good point. And honestly, if 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 you know if you do want to you know give the benefit of the doubt and do the diplomatic thing, you don't want a kid showing up who's unprepared and afraid of everything. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. you go, any, anyone who hasn't yet, um, I was just talking about how much of a snuff film this fucking is. Go, you know, if you haven't seen the Philando Castile video, um, just that that everybody in that clip was afraid, including the cop who fucking killed this guy. Right, like right. he was like, oh, like he didn't know what the fuck was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. It was fucking terrible. Uh, I was just gonna say, just just for for the record, you know, in my dad's career as uh, you know an agent. His diplom- his skills in diplomacy and his de-escalation skills are exceptional. In fact, he's he's got awards that I've seen for those things. As they should be. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. There have been a, a, vari- a, a number of situations where he's been thrust into a situation that potentially could end up very dangerous. But he doesn't go in guns blazing. He goes in and he talks to people and he knows how to talk to people and he's able to get you know, as as the average person would describe it, a violent criminal to not respond violently. And, you know, a lot of outcomes, a lot of outcomes have, you know, a lot of poor outcomes have been avoided. If, in fact, w- you know, towards the end of my dad's career, there was one incident where um, he was called in to uh, talk to uh, a criminal uh, he was, well, he was, he had been in Attica for like eight years or something like that. He was like a really hardened criminal and he was, they were trying to get his agency. They were trying to get DNA, uh, material from him. They were trying to get a swab of his mouth 
and he refused to let anybody swap like he refused to let anybody do that in fact he the woman who was trying to get the dna he was spitting at her and whatnot yeah he's screaming and whatnot oh catch it on the swab right there Sorry. <laughs> i mean so they were they asked for somebody to come in and try and uh you know get that that dna and i i forget how my dad got roped into it but he got in he showed up and the u.s marshals basically said yeah you're never this is a waste of your time like you're never going to get the dna from this guy like he's just such a piece of shit and so sure enough dad goes in talks to the guy for maybe 10 or 20 minutes and the u.s marshals were taking bets as to whether or not he could get this guy to uh not behave violently to get you know he they were taking bets whether or not my dad could actually convince him to give his dna not only did he convince him to do it but he felt but he got him to say i actually want the woman who i spit at to take the dna i feel really bad about what i did and he her. didn't spit in her face again like in silence of the lambs no not <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that but you know it, it just goes to show you that that skill is so important for uh, somebody who works in law enforcement and so few people have it and I think that's what people want, right? They want someone to be able to walk in there and and deescalate. That that that's what we're looking for, you know, someone who knows how to handle that situation and not make it worse, not pull a weapon, not actually injure somebody, right? You know, like, and I think that's that's kind of what people want, you know. If we if we can get to a point where where the majority of law enforcement can do that, you know, on a regular basis, and we don't have these these unnecessary killings and and you know injuries that are that are happening so often you know then maybe maybe we can show you know it, it can work right like that's i think that's kind of the goal well i mean again another you know interesting detail my dad had a colleague there who went with him and he was calling the guys like oh you piece of shit yeah. you scumbag like was just you know cursing him out and calling him horrible shit and at one point my father just said to him, dude get the fuck out of here let me handle this and the guy left and you know ca- calmed this other guy down like it was just you know, it's just like his his rule is always treat people like human beings and, you know, they'll be respectful to you in return, like even people who are hardened criminals. So this 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 idea, this concept that, oh, you know, like if you're dealing with somebody who has a violent history, you have to deal with them violently or, or aggressively. It's just it's total baloney. Yeah, like I said, just treat him like a human being. Right. Because that's that's what we all yeah. are. And, and yeah. I think, you know, if you can yeah. speak to someone in that way and treat them with respect, you'll get a much better response. And that's, that's for any profession. I think, you know, that's across the board. You treat someone like a human, you're going to get a better response. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred percent. Um, you know, we've, we've heard Intel officials say, uh, Intel officials say like, um, you know, they're, they're in counter terrorism. They're, you know, talking to terrorists and suspected terrorists. And like, you know, we, the torture report came out, I think 40 years ago, maybe five at this point, And ultimately showed that torture didn't work like all this terrible stuff they did to prisoners and suspected terrorists, the complete violation of human rights to them. You know, this this one guy I saw in an interview when I was um, you'd have to go back to the show notes and sources for Batman v Superman, I think, in order to get this source. But um, but he said uh, he said that. You know, when you go in to talk to this person, you don't, and I know we're not talking about antebellum, but this is important shit. Uh, when you go in to talk to this person, um, you don't want, you don't want to start, you know, telling them about, uh, you know, that you're going to threaten them and all this other stuff. You just go, listen, you're going to be here for life. I know that. You know that. You have kids. You have a wife. You want your kid to go to a good school. Like, 
you really start appealing to their humanity because that's how you're going to get what you need out of out of these people. And um, yeah, you know that you've heard talking law enforcement uh, with <laughs> with Booch, Nick, and Ty. <laughs> I don't know why I put you last, Ty. It's fucked that's fucked up. That's all right. Uh, I, I did <laughs> want to bring up one other <laughs> quick thing. Uh, you know, Nick Nick mentioned for him, you know, getting to know more people of color really opened his eyes, right? And I've I've spoken numerous times about how that's happened for me, you know, uh, dating a Hispanic woman and and getting to know her family and, and friends and things like that. And I think that happens so often for white people. That's that's kind of how we um, we we you know we get to that point. Disassociate. Yeah, and, and it's just it, it's kind of wild to really think about that. It takes getting to know someone personally right to see that for us to be able to put ourselves in their shoes and understand their struggle and i think that it kind of really sums up white privilege in a lot of ways you know because if we if we if we need to literally know someone uh who is you know who has suffered in order to understand their struggle then we've been really fortunate and and I think that just that that seems to be the case for for the majority of of white people, uh, especially here in the U.S. Yeah, that was a big thing for me too. I mentioned that I was uh, that I was I was raised as a white man by a Hispanic man, and <laughs> it wasn't until I went to school and met more people of color. And even then, dude, thank God they had so much patience because like if I were Josh, I would have kicked my own ass so many times for like just the stupid stuff I said to him because I thought it was cool. I thought it was funny, yep. you know, and whereas I'm not like a bigoted person, like those are microaggressions, um, which, um, which Nick brought up earlier in the, in the film. And I do want to point out a few more of them. Uh, we do have when Elizabeth first talks to Veronica, she makes the comment about, Oh, that lipstick would never look good with my shade of skin, but it looks great with yours. She also says, I didn't mean to trigger you, which I thought was, Thank you. I was yeah. about to say that. Yes. <laughs> you know, which is which is such like a gaslighty term because it's kind of like, oh, you lost because you were triggered. It's like, no, you said something that's fucking stupid and I'm going to call you out on it. Yeah. It's not just about being. Triggered, it's a way to know? turn it around on the victim. Right. You know, you're like, you're like, oh, you this this upset you. It's your fault rather than, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Which is a big time political discourse. And we don't just see it on the right. Uh, we do see it on the so-called left as well. I, I actually left that um that that Facebook group the other day. Conservatives comparing things that aren't comparable. Oh really? <laughs> like I'm just done with the idea of like yeah let's look this person posted something stupid let's go shit on them like they don't they're not going and changing anybody's mind they're going and just defending the Democrats over and over again yeah, like yeah. there's nothing constructive from it and uh, and point. if we learned anything from last week it's that we have to be constructive we can't just be yelling out into the void or being angry we have to do something on some if it's a small level or a large level to make a difference you know when you know i talked about how fred hampton didn't just you know quote communist leaders and stuff he literally put into practice the idea of okay we're gonna help the community with food and resources and education and, and health care and stuff so you know anyone listening just you know just remember that 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 you know that change does does start with you um, yeah, we also, oh, we also saw that Elizabeth sent her a cotton plant, which was pretty fucked up, uh, when she was in the Jefferson suite, for those of you who don't know, Thomas Jefferson raped a bunch of his slaves and had a bunch of illegitimate, uh, children. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Mike, it's interesting that you say that, I'm sorry, because I didn't know that was a cotton plant, and I'm pretty sure that 
the editorial team I worked with did not know that was a cotton. Oh, wow, oh, really? get out of here. I, I, I didn't know the first time, I don't think. But I looked at it this time. I was like, there's fucking cotton on that thing. Oh, this, this is ridiculous. Well, it just goes to show you, like, you know, what what page that we were on at the time that we should we probably yeah, should have been yeah. operating at a, at, a, at a higher level because it's like, oh, we didn't observe that. Jesus. OK. At least you observed the background role. Like, <laughs> like, I'm. Um, yeah. You know, I I don't know exactly what kind of uh, of work they were doing on this on this film, uh, but all I know is that when I've done background work, they you, if you're dancing, if you're yelling, if you're talking in the background, you're pantomiming everything. You make no sounds at all. So um, maybe they did give a couple guys extra, you know, like oh maybe you could talk, or this one guy was just like, hey, let me yell out the n word real quick. Well, I can't. Let me get. Let me really get into the oh. role of this background character. Like, I, I'm sorry, I'm still just he was trying to get a larger role. About that, he was trying to get a larger role. Yeah, I mean that's certainly what that that's certainly what happened that one instance, and it was and like I'm sitting there watching Dallas, and I'm like, oh no, 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 man, Ooh, no. <laughs> One of the directors is black too, right? Uh, Gerard Bush. So Gerard, yes, Gerard is. Uh, his uh, his husband Chris is not. Um, oh, is he the other writer? So he's the other writer slash director. Yeah. Oh, so I didn't know they were a couple. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't know. Yes, either. they are. They're they're married. As as far as I understand it, they're married. Unless unless they've fallen out since then, who knows? We also. Oh, another thing I I noticed is um, we see that Jasper. He asks the slaves to sing him a tune, like one of those old slave hymnals and stuff, and uh, they don't do it for him, but they finally do start whistling later when uh, Eden, sorry, Veronica, gives the the message that, listen, we're escaping tonight, like tonight's the night, and... um. You know, and that right there just goes to show again, like how white people are fine with being entertained by black people, but do not want the message that comes with it. Like those slave hymnals were messages. Everything they did was, uh, was messages. Even Capoeira, uh, the you know Brazilian breakdancing martial art, like that was made up by by Brazilian slaves. And there's those dances would send messages. The the cornrows uh, or braids in in uh, in enslaved people's hair would be maps to get to freedom. Like everything is a message and you know if we continue that into today we should be willing to look at that message in our rap music in our spoken word poems in our actors in our um in our everything and not and you know the football players right not just ignore what is being told to us all right now we're we're running a little bit a little bit over this episode so i want to talk about two more things uh if you guys want to go to our show notes and sources you are more than welcome to uh, because there's a lot more in there. A lot of it is literally just my kind of uh, word salad as I as I put it from my brain onto the onto the the post. Um, but I want to talk about. Oh, she also had a fucking Obama portrait in her living room. Um, but anyway, I, I want to talk about two things. She quotes Asada Shakur, uh, which is a very radical thing to do. She doesn't quote MLK. She quotes Asada Shakur by saying, "The only thing we have to lose are our chains." Do either of you guys know who Asada is? I don't, but I can, I'm not positive about this. It's been, you know, some time since I worked on it, but I think that quote that she adds in that speech that she makes was one that she wanted to add. Like that's one that Janelle Monae said, I want this in the speech, if I'm remembering correctly, because I do believe that the speech was written differently in the script. Well, it makes sense to me because... Uh, That's pretty cool. So. Yeah, because in one of uh, the interviews she was giving, 
um, that I saw on YouTube, she did like specifically name drop Asada Shakur, which it's not like name dropping, you know, a more tame uh, black activist. I don't believe Asada. Uh, Asada was part of the Black Liberation Front, and uh, there was a warrant out for her arrest because she had uh, supposedly killed a cop. So after she was in prison, she escaped to Cuba, where she continues her black activism currently and is on the run from the United States. That's who Janelle decided to quote in this fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, it's just a wild. baller move, in my opinion. Um, the the I'll, I'll throw the interviews um, in this just because uh, Asada, she has a, you know, they did a piece on her years ago in which they interviewed her and also interviewed cops. And it was very interesting to hear, like, she would be like, yeah, well, you know, the cops shot me. They left me there to die. I didn't kill any of them. They're making it up. And then there's a cop going like, the criminal element believes that they are the victim. And we, you know, we will find her, you know, if we need to kidnap her. Like, there's so much shit that they're saying that's just like, it's fucked up. But anyway, Asada Shakur, awesome name drop. Now, the butterfly tattoo. I was trying to look up some symbolism, trying to make my own out of it. Um, the symbolism I ultimately ended up landing on, online at least, was that it was about uh, needing to evolve the way that we run this country so that way everybody else is, is equal. Um, did either of you get a different symbolism out of it, or does one of you know the specific symbolism of it? This was never discussed really in the editing room, what the, what the symbol of what the butterfly really meant. I mean, maybe like here and there. You weren't just like eating low mane and going like, Hey, what's this fucking butterfly? Mean? I don't think, well, I mean, <laughs> not to that extent, but, um, I, I don't think we, I think we just, I think we may have discussed it once or twice, but I don't think we delved into it too much, but I do, but I would say that your analysis of it is is accurate i would think that that's probably what that meant well i did have a zoom call with gerard and chris this morning oh what did they tell you in detail so so (laughs) (laughs) not true uh no i think that that's a pretty accurate interpretation that that you brought up mike i also i also concur well that was the one that i landed on when i was looking for it i have a slightly different interpretation of it because on the cover of this we see as I do. Um, on the cover of this, we see the butterfly covering her mouth. Um, we also see the butterfly that is on the that is on the ankle of the the woman who ultimately ends up hanging herself, uh, who earlier um, miscarried in the film because of the way that she was abused by one of the quote unquote confederates. Mm-hmm. And and I'm thinking I'm like, and also it's on the cover of Veronica's book, uh, which is all about like you know decolonizing your mind or, or uh, inclusion. Well, it was one of those things. Watch the movie. But I think the butterfly, the butterfly to me represents the United States because you have this like small thing that writhes around and it becomes ugly and hardened as as it evolves. And, you know, when we think about the United States history. We go, oh, well, things used to be ugly, but they're much better now. They're beautiful. They've you know, everybody is equal now and we all have cell phones and cars and Everything's fine. And um, meanwhile, we still see that butterfly silencing Veronica on the cover. To me, that butterfly is the U.S. That it may look pretty, but it still comes from the same place. And, uh, you know, the evolution has to continue. You know, you can't just continue to be the thing you were at your core. That's that's Brother Booch's take on it, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I always look forward to your, to your, your takes every episode on something. So that was, that's a good one. The majority of what I know about butterflies comes from Pokemon, so I, I'm I'm not going to come up with my own interpretations here. 
<laughs> and of course, the butterflies in Pokemon are known as Butterfree. But freedom yes. isn't something we're going to see anytime soon. Um, <laughs> I do have a question for Nick. Can you tell us anything about the uh, the final horseback riding sequence uh, where uh, Elizabeth is killed being run into a Robert E. Lee statue? Oh, I forgot that was a Robert E. Lee statue. That's great. <laughs> How great is that? That, uh, I mean, is, as you could imagine, a visual effect. They don't actually drag her through the... through the Right, yeah. right, of course. So, of so course. they did... They, that was pretty much mocked up in post. I think they put a... There was a doll in there, and that was what ran into the thing. But anyway, you know, that was an interesting scene. I actually did... Um, the opening part of that scene where Elizabeth gives that monologue that you know that that really right. like long one yep. so i did a a version of that scene i cut a version of that scene uh, i did a little work on it and um that was tough because the character sort of rambles a lot so there's a lot of there's a lot of inconsistency yeah. in that scene and it was hard to, to match it up in a way that made a lot of sense uh jenna malone really you know really goes completely batshit with that character it's it's actually kind of remarkable to see yeah i mean as far as his random stuff is concerned she got injured during that scene really she uh yeah so you know where she's where she's on the horse and she's firing the gun yes well there was a there was a misfire in one of the takes and the gun went off and it like i don't remember if it was the sparks or the smoke but it like went in her eyes and it like Ugh. you know like yeah, so she was like blind for a second. I remember seeing that. Yikes. Yeah, that was uh that was that was too bad. But um that was a I, I would be willing to bet that that was a hard scene for the cast uh to go through because I know they had to take breaks and they were like, "All right, enough. Like we've had enough of this. Like, you know, we need to we need a minute." Yeah. Cuz just cuz it's so emotionally charged. It definitely is. Yeah, the thing um that that common viewer may not understand about acting is that good actors uh they really do um they they go to emotions you know uh, an actor as far as i understand the way i the way i act um has a tool chest of different emotions and those emotions come from specific events a lot of it for me is like all right my fucking mom dying like all right, it sucks she died, but now I have that in my tool chest. And I'm like, all right, if I need to cry about something, boom, you know, I'm calling on that. If I'm going to play somebody who's crying while talking to their lover and all this other stuff, boom, I'm calling on marrying my wife. Like I have all these, all these things. And, um, it, it is a, a lot to, to put yourself in that position. And if you're also a good person playing a problematic person, um, that is very difficult to do too, because I've done that. And it, it, both acting and playing Dungeons and Dragons, you know, I've played a villain and it's, it's just exhausting. It's exhausting for, for, for everybody involved. So I'm glad you, you brought that up, Nick. And, and Ty, I'm glad that you brought up the, that scene specifically, because I wasn't going to mention it, but now that, now that it's out there, this scene, I, I, it kind of makes sense why a lot of the terrible stuff was shown at the beginning of the movie, because it has to justify what Veronica does to these people at the end which is justified either way. Um, you know, we see a similar scene in, uh, in get out, uh, where, where he's, where he's finally escaping, uh, and, and like, he's, you know, stabbing them with antlers and stuff. And, and it's survival. Yeah. This to me though, I'm not sure if it hit the way they wanted it to, at least for me. And here's why, because there is a very real fear in white America 
that and this is why I think they haven't been able to move past slavery or racism. You know, I think at any time people of color are willing to move past it should they be given the proper resources and pro- and and proper treatment as a first class citizen in the United States. But it's 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 the powers that be that say as soon as we give these people the resources that we have, as soon as we give them the means, they're going to fucking kill us. They're going to do to us what we did to them. Um which is what happens in this movie. And um you know, I once again, I don't think it was purposeful, but I think it speaks to the to the fear of of white people, you know, who are like, oh, well, as soon as these black people get the chance, they'll do to us what we did to them. And, you know, she she even burns burns the senator and Jasper and other uh, white villain in the, in the, you know, the little house where the little shed where they burn those people, which is also fucking terrible. Um that also that harkened back to to a Malcolm X uh, analogy that he made too. That like if racism, if racial tension is like a powder keg, and the United States is the house, you better move that racial tension out because yeah. the house is going to catch fire. That was part of his segregation thing, where he was like, he was like, give us the means to go back to Africa and get the fuck out of your hair because you keep us here, you keep doing this, shit's going to get bad. Um, I doubt it was meant that way, but no, you know, and it was great to see her serve some justice after everything that was done to her and her her fellow uh kidnapped persons. It's the scene also kind of for me like it, you know, it seems like the senators in charge here, but you know, if you listen to Elizabeth's speech, it kind of, you know, she's kind of the brains behind the operation more. You know, she's the one that's handpicked everybody except Veronica, right, who's causing all this trouble. Um, you know, it's kind of up to her to clean up the mess of her father. Uh, and I just thought that was a, that was an interesting little uh, little moment there to think about. That's that's the idea is that she's she is well that Elizabeth is running the show and uh, you know the senator is just throwing his weight around because he can. To me, that kind of screams uh, first wave feminism too, because the feminist movement did originate from like white women. Be don't quote me on it. But I know that white women were at the forefront while black women were literally at the back of the feminist group. And, you know, it it blows my mind how there are women who can realize they are being oppressed by the system and yet not acknowledge the oppression of other women of color within that system. Um, which I think we also might have spoken about in uh, Lovecraft a little bit too. Yes, definitely. But yeah, we definitely. do see we do see a lot of that today. You know, a lot of so-called feminists. You know, like slut shaming or, or or turning on women or whatever. Um, but yeah, that that being said, I think I've shared every thought I have on this movie. If I haven't, check out the show notes and sources when you get the chance. Ty, do you have any uh, final thoughts? No, uh, you know, overall, I I did enjoy the film. I didn't love it. Nick, sorry, I didn't love the film. I thought it had some great moments. Nick's having a threesome with the directors later, so you better hope. <laughs> Not sure it's a movie assault. that I like. That, <laughs> that I would that I would rewatch over and over again. But I think that it had some really good messages, uh, and I thought the idea was really really great. You know, this idea of kind of uh, this this white supremacist group trying to bring back a modern day slavery. It was uh, it was it was a solid twist, I'll say. But. Um, yeah, it wasn't always successful for me, but overall, I thought I had a really good message, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk about this today. And Nick, how about yourself, man? You know, I, I really enjoyed working on it. I mean, you know, the editor I work with, John, he's really, really brilliant. Uh, and, like, we really all, I mean, for me personally, as a, as a creative, I really had, like, 
an opportunity to, to create to uh, flex some creative muscle to a certain extent, and um, that was awesome. Um, I don't. Did any of you guys read the reviews for the film? Uh, just briefly, just briefly. I did not, and you know what? We should make that we should make that a part of of the podcast too, because I I did it with a couple episodes and it flowed pretty well. You know, we should we should read the reviews. But um, how was it received? Uh, not well. Yeah, that's, that's it what wasn't. I saw. The critics did not like it. They they didn't like it. They thought it was he- too heavy handed, and uh, they thought a lot of. A lot of what happened, and it was unnecessary. <laughs> Shit, I'm one of those critics, I guess. Well, before I got on with you, I was I, I just was casually looking through the IMDb reviews, and there was one that that stood out to me, and it and it was basically it was just some guy who said, "I feel like I didn't like this movie. I feel like I should have because I'm a black man, but I did not like this movie." And he went on further to say. Like this was a great. This seems like a great concept, but it was like it felt super rushed. And uh, granted, there's a grain of truth there. Um, yeah. Well, I think this, but you know what? I think this movie came out potentially at the wrong time. I think that if this movie were to come out in the next six months, the response would be a lot different. And I say that because of the sacking of our capital that took place on January sixth. Yeah, that's a good. That's. I think a lot of people watched this movie and were like, "Oh, that could never happen. That's so out on Pluto." I think like after we've had this wake up call at the beginning of last month, I think people were like, "Oh, that actually does seem like something that potentially totally feasible." Gerard and Chris were like, "We fucking told you, come on, right?" <laughs> uh, and when you see like a man walking through the Capitol with uh, the Confederate flag. Um, there's no question as to whether or not he is a racist. Like, cause I'm sure there are plenty of people who are like, oh, well they're Trump supporters, but they're not racist or like, they're not a white supremacist group. Like, no, like dude, they're intertwined. And this guy specifically is racist. And then you see in this movie there, the Confederate flag is always there. It's always in the background until Veronica takes it down at, at the very end. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, that's interesting because Janelle uh, and she thought that the movie was coming out at a perfect time. This movie came out in September of 2020. So, um, but I, I I see your point with that. Like, if if it did come out after people knew that racism still existed, the fucking idiots, because that that was their day. They were like, oh, you know, Trump Trump doesn't have extremists. Like these people are just you know they just they just love America. Blah blah blah. No, they fucking love that love one America. guy. And what they do love about him, he didn't build a fucking wall. What do you love about him? Like, what do you, like, like, you know, the dude hasn't done shit to help you. He was talking shit about the people who did go to the Capitol to fucking, um, you know, sack it. Like you said, just throw their fucking sacks all over it. Literally dragging their sacks across the, the floor. Their sacks were all over <laughs> and it was terrible. They're still cleaning up hairs oh. from it. Um, we're, we're super mature on this podcast, but uh, it's interesting because I was one of those people who was like, it's too much. It's too much. But the heavy handedness of saying when people say these terms, when people have these ideologies, they really mean they want the antebellum period back. I think it, get, it gets that across pretty well. I lost it a little bit in going like, fuck, did they have to show this? Did they have to show that? You know, which which I'm not going to argue whether or not that was the right choice artistically because, you know, so, I was talking before the impeachment hearing. They had to show a lot of shit 
to try and get these fucking monsters to convict Trump, these slimy fucking worms to do the right thing. Like, so sometimes you have to show you have to show the real gruesome nature of something to show the reality of it. In the words of Ra's al Ghul and Batman Begins, people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And in the words of Liam Neeson, who played him, I was searching around for any black bastard who I could get my hands oh, on, or something God, like that. I don't yeah. remember exactly what he that said. Was, but, that was. I think that. Um, I think that literally <laughs> is what he said. Say that, I think everybody. that literally word for word is what he yeah. said. Yeah, and then, and then so. he went out to dinner with Mel Gibson afterwards. <laughs> not, not true. <laughs> not, not actually true, but <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Did they watch the Passion of the Christ oh, ab- afterwards? <laughs> They're watching the the passion. He was like, "Oh my god, this is a great film, Mel." And he's like, "Thanks, mate. I'll tell you, these Jews be not doing the oh right my thing. God. I'll fucking hate them. <laughs> they killed Jesus. Uh, nice little party. Why was nine, boy? <laughs> That's twice oh it's always sunny's been brought up. Um, yeah, I've uh, <laughs> twice I brought sunny. up what? I think it's Nick. Nick's here, and we <laughs> our mind always goes. And it's always sunny. Oh, I did. Nick is yeah. I am a Nick is diehard song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nick, before we close out, do you do you want anyone to follow you on social media at all? Or you uh, I don't have a social media. You're just you're just behind the scenes doing. I'm your work. just doing my thing. Yeah, that is absolutely fine. Yeah, I, I just that is absolutely fine. Um, I just do my I just I just do my <laughs> okay. thing, and you know that's that's it. I mean, what you're hearing from me is entirely just my opinion on the matter. I, I don't have any hard facts from the directors or the real creatives. So, no, I said what you're hearing from me is just is like I said, just my opinion. So, and and honestly, that is all we share on this podcast. Like, we're not, you know, I remember, you know, behind the scenes, my cousin told me she was a little bit nervous about being on the podcast last week, and I'm like. What? Like, listen to an episode. We don't sound professional. And she's like, I did listen to an episode. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Like, we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Um, But uh, but that's why we have sh- show notes and sources. And, uh, and a lot of it is our opinions. And I will preface my opinions by, you know, by saying whether or not I, uh, I'm sure of them or... Um, you know, I, I think we do have to just realize that there is a, a human nature to, to everybody. And we were we were so happy to have this human on, on this episode, Nick, to provide uh, a different a different point of view that we definitely wouldn't have had. You you coastal L.A. elite calling in from New York. <laughs> um, so thank you so much uh, for for being on and being a friend of the pod. It was a pleasure, guys. Thank you. You know, that being said, next week, if you want to prepare for our episode, which movie are we watching, Ty? I think we were going to do Into the Spider-Verse first, right? Something a little lighter. Into the Spider-Verse. That's right. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, uh, you know, with following up our Black Trauma Month with uh, Black Triumph Month um, with a little dash of trauma, depending on what the what, what we're reviewing. Yeah, just general um, trauma. That's, uh, that's what we're going to be reviewing next week. Yeah, just general trauma. Yeah, because every Spider-Man goes through trauma. Miles goes through trauma because of his Spider-Man-ness. Yes. Yes. Not necessarily because it, it's of Spider-Man Black trauma. His uncle is killed that's by a white guy. Yes, spider trauma. Um, but that being said, all of you, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at PolitiPopPod. Um, if you want to email us, you can find us at PolitiPopCast at gmail.com. If, you know, if you're not sure you know, you agree with what we're saying, or if you do agree, or, or just want to share your thoughts, go for it. You can find us our, uh, our show notes and sources at PolitiPopPodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, special thanks to all of you listeners and to Antonia Chava for logo design. Uh, for the Politipop podcast, I have been Mike Booch. I have been Ty. 
Oh, do you want to say I've been Nick, or it doesn't matter? No, I just, you know, <laughs> it's all good. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> He's been. Um, and remember, people, no matter what you're watching, what you're listening to, whatever media you're consuming to, to fight the power, hopefully not conform to it, never stop thinking, never stop learning, and always remember to read between the lines. And scene. There we go.